You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Everyone and welcome to Nerd Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. This episode number three hundred and forty-two. We're discussing Andor. I'm one of your hosts, Tim, and I'm Carlos. And Carlos, you know, it's a Star Wars kind of week. We're talking Andor, a big series that just ended over on Disney Plus. Twelve episodes, hailed as one of the best TV series in the Star Wars universe, and we could not review it, could not discuss it in a bit of detail here alone. We had to invite two of our very good friends. From Jam Transmissions, we've got Rick. Hello, gentlemen. Welcome, Rick. Welcome. I can't wait to get some of your insight here. You've been chronicling this for 12 weeks now and doing such an impeccable job. Had to get your opinion here into the nerd room. And we've also got, formerly of the Tumbling Saber, can I say that? We've got Kyle. You can say whatever you want, man. And hello. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Kyle. It's been a minute since we've had you on the podcast, but again, you know, coming off of your years of chronicling Star Wars inside of the Tumbling Saber, we could not resist inviting you on here to break down this whole series here, bring a full quartet of hosts to the mics here to discuss and or in a big way. So excited to have both of you guys here and thank you for jumping on this week. Anytime. It's nice to be able to hop on and scratch the itch once in a while. Yeah, right. And no editing for you either, man. That's the best oh, part. Oh, thank Christ. <laughs> That's twice for you, Kyle. That we've been yeah. on together. You, you see the to you see the wave I'm riding here, Rick. I love I it. It's handouts, and I'm taking them all. Yeah, Thanks man. Guesting on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> the best, the best. So, Carlos, my man, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good, man. I'm uh, I'm so happy that we could do this and break down Andor because we never really touched on it a ton on our show, and mm. to be able to do it with two two of the Apex guys in the Star Wars podcast in the space is a special treat for us. So. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to be here, and especially our boy Rick there, who's been living that Andor life since day one. <laughs> I, I gotta say, man, every time on your show you talk about people who are down on the show or doing like this little cloud of shame, kind of comes <laughs> over me, and I'm just like, ah, oh, that was me. That was me. He's talking about <laughs> right now, sitting here doing this. It's like. Carlos, you were on the show for episode four of Andor. Kyle, you were on, I think, when we did episode nine, nine. I would say. Uh, Tim, you haven't been on the show, unfortunately, but I'm looking at this recording as almost like episode 13 of Andor, and you're on my show. 100%, man. I love that. I love the way you're looking at it. And it's fun to kind of do these crossovers because, like, pulling in the different opinions. And like I said, Jam Transmissions. Rick has been chronicling this from the beginning in great depth and detail, giving your initial reactions, giving your detailed reactions to this. And so if you guys want that detailed breakdown, head over to JT Jammed Transmissions there for Rick. But Rick, I'll bring you into this first. You know, we're going to talk about Andor. We're going to break it down. We're going to hit some high level thoughts and ideas here, concepts, look into the future for the next 12 episodes that's coming in 2024. But Rick, give us kind of a holistic, just couple sentences this is something that carlos and i like to do just kind of uncork a little bit and or as a whole here and maybe bring in a little bit of the context as to where it sits for you in both the disney era and the disney plus era of star wars well i mean like you guys are saying everything about this show from its announcement was something that i was going to be on board for um cassian as a character was all about that um 
the tip of the iceberg storytelling. You know what I mean? Like everything about him was a couple of sentences was backstory. And we got, you know, there was so much, there was such a big gap we can fill in for what his story could be. And knowing what they were giving us in like a synopsis as like a spy thriller for the show. Mm-hmm. It was that, but it, then it was so much more. And and I said this on, on my show that all of us had been clamoring for a show like this, but didn't know what could what it could be once we got it. And it's been such a fresh, like, surprise mm-hmm. on this kind of skin of Star Wars. You know what I mean? Like, it's been something completely new, but at its core, thematically, it's still everything that Star Wars yes. is. Like, to set comparisons between this and... You know, the Mandalorian or Kenobi, like visually, they may be different. The productions are very different. But thematically, all of those things, like all of those defining characteristics for what Star Wars is, are in this show. Um, And it fits in very well with like the larger saga of what Star Wars is as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, beautifully put, man. It, it, it is like you said, something completely different. We didn't know what this was gonna be at the onset, other than a few lines. And Tony Gilroy, the man that brought this from Rogue One, you know, a sentence inside of the original crawl seeded what was Rogue One, and then now you've got this what is gonna turn out to be a twenty-four episode, twenty-plus hours, really of of this character developing through the growth of the rebellion in those years. It's unbelievable the amount that they've been able to extract from this and do it in such a quality way. Now, Carlos, let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum here. You know, Rick was in from day one. You took a little bit of convincing. Now we're on the other side of it. Where are you sitting with with regards to Andor? Oh, and I have a kind of unique perspective because I'm always the guy that comes into Star Wars through people I love's fandom, right? Like initially it was my best buddies from high school that brought me to it and exposed me to it. And it was enjoying it through their enjoyment kind of thing. I was the guy with the video game consoles. So we played all the Star Wars games at my house kind of thing. And then now it's uh, with my daughter and her love of Star Wars. But for me, kind of taking a look back at everything that's preceded it and everything I've been exposed to now, I would argue that Andor is the most important piece of Star Wars media uh, that's come out certainly in the Disney era and maybe since The Empire Strikes Back because this is your proof of concept that you can have Star Wars that's a bit more sophisticated that truly is tailored for adults. And it did that rare thing that like Marvel has yet to do DC's only done a couple times where you can strip the IP completely away from it. Yes. And it still works. Like you could take the story of Andor and the character beats and the concepts and you could just put Andor as a person from a third world country, have the Empire as some kind of corporation or um, colonist entity coming in and the hardships and the struggles would be the same right except this time you get to play with it in the star wars sandbox and i don't think that they've ever had that before like kind of like with joker or the dark knight where you strip away the ip and you still have a really solid Mm -hmm. piece of storytelling there and or is i think the first time that we've seen that achieved in star wars and and it was wonderful for it like this is one of my favorite things ever and it's probably the lightest on the spectacle, but better for it. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with you there, man. Like The way I've been thinking about this show really since the first arc is this is really less a Star Wars story 
and more a story set in the Star Wars universe, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of does away, like you said, with the iconography, with the major stuff. Like we don't get real Star Wars familiarity outside of the themes, like you like you mentioned there, Rick, until halfway through the show, where you're starting to see like stormtroopers show up, and you know the ISB in a little bit more detail. Like they spent that first arc not even really doing anything with regards to what we're used to as far as the antagonist inside of Star Wars. They use like this this blue suited. Uh, what do you call it? Like um, almost like management security company or whatever. Um, and so it is really cool how they structure around that and gave you, like you said, just a story and it has all these cool things as, as, as far as connections. And they didn't worry about pressing the Star Wars aspect of it, like the force or having the emperor make a cameo or anything like that. There's mentions and there's some characters in here that we do get to see that we'll get to. But uh, yeah, I, Man, you guys just kind of laid it out there almost perfectly. Now I'm looking for the cherry on top here from Kyle. Bring in your perspective here, man. You know, you've got a long history with Star Wars, both per- personally and then within the podcasting space, Ben. But what are, what are your kind of your overarching thoughts here on Andor? Yeah, when they first announced it, my my first reaction was a bit of a shrug. And it wasn't because I'm not interested in Cassian or seeing the seed, the, the, the spark of rebellion. <laughs> Look at Rick over there with the thumbs down. It was because I was more interested in breaking new territory in, in terms of Star Wars. But what kept me hooked was Stephen Schiff, was Tony Gilroy, was Spy Thriller. I love all three of those things, and I figured the, it, it can't miss. So when I see a trailer, I'll be on board. And lo and behold, we had that trailer a couple months back, which blew my brain apart. It just looked mm-hmm. so rich and so so removed from Star Wars, but yet still so compelling. Like you knew this was going to be on another level. And yes, for when they were, they, thank goodness they released the first three episodes that got that first arc out of the way on yep. the first day. Because to be honest, I did struggle with it. And I saw the qualities of the show, but I was like, where are we going here? But next we had the Aldani arc. And that was just, that was just fire. It was amazing. And that was that was the point where I was like, okay, this is something truly exceptional that they're doing here that we're getting dropped on us. And yes, maybe it does. And this is to my great shame, where I was always more of the person that would like to see Star Wars be typical Star Wars, Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. like Mandalorian, something like the movies, which kind of hits the four quadrants or everybody's welcome in. This was like Carlos said, tailored to adults. And I was not it's not that I didn't want to see that. It's that I, I want to be able to watch Star Wars with my kids anytime. I don't want to wait till my kids are 14, 15 before, for them to, in, to enjoy a show like this. Uh, but the miracle of Disney Plus is that we can have it all now. Yeah. <laughs> I just have to wait a couple more months for Mando Season 3. Yeah. A few months ago, we were basking in Obi-Wan. So in between, it's not a big deal uh, if we want to get one of these grittier, more grounded... Uh, character-driven, dialogue-driven type of shows. Mm-hmm. I was absolutely floored with the, the the level of acting and writing that was on display here. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, man. Across the board here, yeah, I'm with all you guys here. I just want to pull on that a little bit when it comes to the the acting, the dialogue-driven sort of Star Wars story. It's something we're not used to, right? We're used to the spectacle, the big things. And when this was initially laid out as being 12 episodes, it was quite a, quite a shocker, at least to myself, and I think a lot of the community as well, because we're used to these being six to eight episodes. And if I'm being completely honest with you, some of the ones that are six to eight episodes even feel long in of themselves. It feels mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, we could tighten this up a little bit. And so hearing 12, and then actually we're going to have 24 episodes of this. And... 
the thing that I loved what they did here with this is that they broke this, like you said, Kyle, into into what looked like four, basically four different arcs as you stretch across here. you got the Ferrix, the opening arc. You've got the Eldani. You've got the prison. And then you've got the return turn to Ferrix, essentially. Kind of these four arcs spread across this whole show, which kind of nicely piecemealed this thing out into almost what felt like four separate movies in a way. And that storytelling allowed you to digest and then leap to something different. And each one presented a different aspect. You got a bit more of the uh, the spectacle on Aldani. You've got a lot of really cool stuff in the, the prison sequence. And then you've got, of course, the really the kickoff to the rebellion. We've seen the initiation of the rebellion from a whole bunch of different angles. But this episode or this show actually brought us um, what was probably more emotionally uh, driven side of it, the very powerful side of the, the initiation of the rebellion in a different part of the universe. So, Rick, favorite mm-hmm. arc here. You know, what's one that struck you the most here out of out of these four? Or if there's something in particular you want to bring to the table with regards to kind of how they split out and how they pace us across what seems like four-ish arcs. Man, it's hard to say because each element of this show exceeded from the one prior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't have that without the ones prior. So it, it's really hard to say. But if I had to say that there was one kind of part or arc of the story it for me personally i think it's everything that happened on ferrix mm-hmm. um while aldani and arkina 5 i think were great um the world building the culture building of ferrix and how that came into shape each of those characters um around cassian and how especially i'm thinking of the characters that left ferrix at the end of the finale Mm -hmm. and how each of them is kind of an archetype or a part of Cassian's character in and of itself, where Jesse is the, the culture side of the planet. Uh, You know, Bravo is, you know, in essence, you boil them down to what community is supposed to mean. You have Bix as this stalwart business person, and you have B2 as the emotional core of who Cassian Mm -hmm. is supposed to be. And Willman, uh, the young kid who throws the pipe bomb, is like he's the fighter spirit that is Cassian, and all none of those would have existed without any of the world building that we got on Ferrix from the beginning, and all of that culture that has become who he is, and will eventually shape who he is in the future. Like that's all of who he is. I loved everything about the show, but the more I've sat and thought about each how each of these locations um, came to transform Cassian in different aspects this is the one that seems the, the most well like the most well-rounded for him i mean obviously because he as a character spent the most time there um but each of the people in that space came to represent facets of him as mm-hmm. opposed to the things that he learned or taught to characters both on Aldanian or on arkina um these are facets of him as opposed to just elements in his story you know what i mean yeah, no, that's that's a really cool way of looking at it. And something until you started talking about this didn't really like light bulb in my head that, you know, the they're not just supporting characters. They're they're kind of something a little bit bigger, right? They're not just there to add a piece that Cassian is missing or to be like that comedic relief that we see in some of these different shows, more specifically on the Marvel side of things. But they do add kind of these elements, and that that's an interesting perspective on the on the whole Ferrix thing because it is definitely the slower piece of it, right? When you look at it compared to Aldani. Um, the, the the prison sequence and even a little bit towards you get, you get the end the Ferrix is definitely the very character driven piece of it 
And it's one of those, the, the ferric stuff in particular, it's something that you, you sit back and you watch and you're watching it and you're consuming it. But I've never found myself thinking, when's this going to end and I get we get to the battle? Like, when are we going to get to the stormtroopers arriving? When are we going to get Cassian back in a ship? Like, it's I, I sat and watched the last two episodes yesterday and I was just thinking to myself, like, it, the, this 11th episode just ended and I was like, oh, oh, okay. Like, it was, you know, you're consuming this and you're digesting it at a pace that it's delivering it to you. You're not like watching your watch or being like, okay, when's, when's this person going to show up? When's Vader going to show up? You know what I mean? I like that about it. It's just like, it's, you're consuming it at the pace it's delivering it to you, which is, uh, which is something special. I think particularly about the Ferric arc. Kyle, how about you, man? Um, what, what jumps out to you here across these four arcs? Man, there's something to absolutely love about all of them. Uh, I, I, I really loved the Aldani arc. Like I said, the prison arc was fantastic, but I think, I think what I liked, the most about the show was maybe a, a subplot running through the entire show was anything to do with Mon Mothma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did not know I needed, I, I, sorry. I liked seeing Mon Mothma in Rogue One. I thought that was fantastic just to see her there because when she like business picks up when she's there, you know, there's big stakes when she's on screen. Uh, but what Genevieve has, O'Reilly has been able to do in reverse engineering mm. the short glorified cameo of Mon Mothma in return of the Jedi to break that character down and work with the material she's been given in the script it's just it's beyond next level what's being done with her you know you just think of her as just the 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 person who just cobbled together the rebellion and was always on the right path and always uh, made the right choices and there was nothing else to it but yet here we are and she's in a mess she's in a pickle she's in moral quandaries she is in money trouble she's in marital trouble she doesn't get along with her daughter if you had told me five years ago that we were going to get this kind of stuff with Mon Mothma, I'd say, what are they doing wasting our time with this? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yet it has been absolutely riveting what yeah. they've done. And I would take Mo- a Mon Mothma series and just watching her sit at the table reading from a phone book. Like, <laughs> it's been a joy, a joy to watch Genevieve O'Reilly work and to see them work this character to the bone and, and make something of it other than what it used to be with this. And now we're like, we're all full of theories, right? About how did she become this woman, the Senator and end up as somebody standing at the war room table in Jedi, Mm -hmm. just with this blank stare on her face, almost seeming like she's permanently sad and ruined. What happened to her? What's going to happen to her in season two, as a result of the seeds that have been planted in, in season one, I'm dying to find out. That's probably the thing I'm hooked on the most. Yeah, it's crazy how they developed that story, too, because I think it really benefited from the fact that they said from the onset, you get 24 episodes because they weren't rushing to cross over the the, the Andor chunk of it with the Mon chunk of it because their only real connection is is loosely Lutheran, right? Like, there's no real interaction with Mon and Andor story at all. Like, they're, they're going to cross over at some point when we get to season two but they're not dependent on each other in the sort of way that you would normally see a backdoor pilot to some other show being shoehorned into this. Then it feels like you're taking away from the Andor story to get this character moving forward. It, it kind of all feels like a piece because I think it's done and it's executed in the right way. And you've got fantastic acting behind Mon Mothma. And so it, it's something that, uh, yeah, these secondary arcs that are happening in the background of this that, you know, have some cursory connection or loose ties to what's going on with Andor specifically, that all just kind of work and rolling and progressing this whole giant story that we're going to see unfold, uh, I think, in a bigger way once we get to, to season two. 
Absolutely. Can't wait yeah. for it. Yeah. Carlos, how about you, man? Like, we're talking about these four arcs, and we can pull in some of this other stuff, too, because that's the next topic we're actually going to roll to, is uh, is some of the secondary arcs inside of this as well. Well, and even just to Kyle's point, like, they've done such a good job with the show, is even if in season two or anything we get from here, we don't uh, get any kind of catalyst moment for Mon Mothma, they did such a good job building her character that you get the sense that she feels the weight of every loss of life and every failure that the rebellion has against the empire. So her looking like she has the weight of the world and great sorrow and loss in the subsequent films uh, to where and or is right now, they've done the work here where it's shown the type of character that she is and what her constitution's all about. So yeah, I, that's a thing I, I really applaud with, this series and to kind of build on that like my favorite thing has been how subtly powerfully but with so much restraint they've built the seeds of the rebellion mm -hmm. there's been no overt action or incident outside of marva's funeral which is just contained to ferrix as it is but they've done just such a good job showing how the empire could be something that's embraced and how it retains its power. Because coming into this as somebody from the outside who doesn't read all the books and everything else, it's like, well, it doesn't make, like, of course there'll be a rebellion because everybody would want to shrug off this entity that is the Empire. And that's where the sequel trilogies didn't really click with me at first was, it's just like, how do you get here from the victory from of Endor kind of thing, right? Why would anybody ever go back to that? But this series has done a really good job of showcasing kind of societal politics mm -hmm. and how you'll have a group of people that has power and has wealth and is happy with how this group is doing business because they don't care about the oppression and how this other group is being treated and just subtle things like the fact that when you go to the prison planet, that all of these guys are in this indentured servitude and they're in like essentially what equates to a for-profit prison in our world where the empire has these people that nobody's going to miss putting together all these things that they need for their, for their war machine and for uh, the way that they do business and that you ha have built into the story, that group realizing what their lot is. And that's why they, start running behind this leader coming to the forefront in Cassian um, and, you know, taking their shot at escaping. And then like one of the things that they kept talking about was like, we need to let other people know about what's happening here mm -hmm. because nobody knows, nobody knows. Right. And that was kind of a, an ongoing theme is that all these people who are in these terrible positions are starting to find voices for themselves, starting to spread the word as to what the empire is all about. And it, did a marvelous job with starting to sketch out what your rebellion is going to be mm -hmm. without having it this kind of pre-built thing and it's like ah yeah we're we're here we're ready to go and like even saw Guerrera and the other uh, factions that will uh, coalesce into the rebellion later on like to see them kind of going about things their own way and hopefully we get to see them start getting galvanized under the leadership of Mon Mothma kind of thing. Right. So, um, yeah, that 
honestly, that's something that I didn't really expect to see. I, I thought you'd see that the Empire was kind of, or the Rebellion was already going and Cassian would kind of supplement that, but that he's at ground zero for this whole thing is pretty cool. And, and literally at ground zero as Luthen had to have his catalyst incident where he was willing to sacrifice lives and uh, start shedding a bit of blood so that people would become, would shake off their apathy kind yeah. of thing, right? Just like yeah. uh, just like Bruce said, sometimes people needed a dramatic example to shake <laughs> off their apathy and <laughs> Luthen must have taken those words to heart. I think so. I think so, especially with some of that stuff at the end. He's he's looking a little bit uh, devilish by the time we get to the end of this this series. And um, I just want to touch on one of your points there with the, the prison sequence. I can't remember the planet name. Rick, you'll have to hit me with that one. Um, Narkina. Narkina 5. Narkina, yeah. So I, I love this. And like traditionally inside of, especially a 12-episode series you could maybe say oh this feels a little bit like bottle episodes right is that you're saving some powder you're inside a white room you know if you've got three episodes it takes takes place inside of a white room with them building these these devices and that but i took so much away from this and it kind of really just builds on what you said carlos about like this seizes rebellion these guys kind of realizing almost waking up and then it's front loaded with andy circus as well making his his second character appearance inside of star wars and that was a bit of a surprise to me and his powerful speech at the end of this like come on like that was just like i'm sitting watching this by myself and i'm just like vibrating listening to him because you know you got andor kind of coaching him on i'm like okay i want some more of this and he gets going and i'm ready to like run off and jump off my porch and say like i'm i'm out of here like (laughs) i'm gonna put myself in prison just so i can break out exactly i was like (laughs) i can do this right (laughs) like that 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 was such a, a powerful arc for me because it was it's it's simple and you know, you could you could have really went down the path of okay, we're gonna throw some cameos in here, we're gonna have him meet someone. This is the way we're gonna see it, but it's just it's all so organic, and that's just why it works for me. It just it feels like they're not pushing this narrative specifically to get to X end goal by the end or X battle. It's like we're gonna just gonna use this as a way to build characters, and you know, seeing the him empathize with with some of the characters around him and really build him up to andor like andor really moved from the start of this prison as to being kind of a bit more selfish a bit more like i need to do this to get away to get to my to my family to it being more holistically about the greater good like i saw that big needle move inside of that prison arc for him which which you know you you can't you can't ignore some of that stuff so just just brilliant on that side of things let's let's talk about secondary arcs like this show although very much focused on andor and revving up the rebellion and putting the foundation underneath that it had a whole bunch of really cool secondary angles here and more specifically the isb now rick and kyle you guys you guys are really cemented in in a lot of the stores lore and i know i'm familiar with the isb but rick can you elaborate a little bit on for the listeners for those that aren't as familiar you know we're used to seeing the imperial navy right we're used to seeing stormtroopers and you know some familiar gray suits and all that but the ISB is a little bit different. They conduct themselves a little bit differently. And uh, they've clearly hired stormtroopers that can shoot as well. Um, as we see in the final episode, that these guys are, uh, are are pretty deadly here. Yeah, the, the ISB is like, um, that's the intelligence branch, branch of um, the Empire. And they're also a force to be reckoned with. And mm-hmm. I think part of that um, reputation is partly built 
on the events around this series, where if you look at them in the beginning of the show, they seem to be, there's a lot of infighting. They don't seem to be as organized as they would come to be, like we would see like under Krennic, say in Rogue One. Um, but it's like the events of this show help to mm. um, bridge all of that stuff together because, you know, you see, like, you know, Blevin and Miro are infighting Partigas and trying to play referee. And then Yularen finally stepping in and saying like, hey, you know, um, Palpatine's not happy with any of this. Uh, get your act together. Um, where they're coalescing is like at this stage, like a juxtaposition of with the, where the small R rebellion is because mm-hmm. you know they're not the capital R rebellion. It's just these factions of people who know nothing about organization besides what Luthen is trying to do. But even the way he's trying to do it is manufactured in a way that it's not organic. Where you know you hear with uh, Nemec's manifesto about how there are plenty of people who are in they they have already enlisted without even knowing it. The ISB is all about that enlistment, all about that, um, that uh, you know, both feed in uh, to the point where you're willing to stab somebody else in the back for it. And even Partygas tells uh, Miro early on, like, you know, hey, good work stepping outside the box, but watch your back. Now you have a target on you. So we, you know, we've now seen the ISB, because of the events of this show, they're going to be much harder going mm-hmm. forward, you know, for the next what five or six years that the empire is at their, at, you know, at their height um, because of the stuff that happened. Cassian messed up a lot of stuff. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> the same way the Skywalker family messed up the galaxy for a while. Cassian was the catalyst for a lot of like really bad stuff happening. It truly is. And you know, when you look at it from that perspective that you, you, you bring to the table here is that it, we're, we're really focused on watching the rebellion build here, but at the same time as they're building, like, like you mentioned, it's the catalyst for the solidification of an enemy, like a true enemy, to, like a like a warring enemy for the ISB and eventually the whole Empire to fight against, right? And so you're seeing that solidification and, and really people rising through the ranks here that, that do become, you know, eventually likely, like you said, um, your Tarkins, in, well, that's inside of the Imperial Navy, but um, you're building so much there. And I think it's it's hard to appreciate at first blush as to the impact, like you said, Rick, of what this is going to be, and the following is going to be inside of the the next twelve episodes, and really building that. Like I like that we got away from the the gray suited Imperial Navy for this. That it's a different antagonist inside of this, and it's it's one that, like like you mentioned, it's it's a bit scarier too, right? You know, we got we got kind of used to the Imperial Navy and them not being you know as proficient maybe and you see a little bit of that with luthan in this but uh the isb is something to be reckoned with yeah well one of my favorite things about the way the empire is depicted in this show is there wasn't a heavy reliance on stormtroopers yes it was it was um there were a lot of faces to the empire um mm-hmm. so much so that even in at Ferrix, the people that were standing in the front lines um to you know, try to stifle the the funeral. They had helmets on. They didn't have face masks. They weren't, you know, there were maybe a dozen stormtroopers there. Um, And I like that it personalized it, you know, to give you that face of the enemy. Otherwise they were, you know, stormtroopers are cannon fodder in Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And it personalized it and it showed the risk that kind of both sides were willing to, to put up. But one side obviously being, you know, more noble and the other side doing it for you know 
security and order and all of these other uh, galactic buzzwords to make people feel better. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, even even having like the PORD um, as a, this new set of legislation to come into, you know, heighten um, prison sentences and things like that. I mean, not, the whole Narkeen, you know, arc wouldn't have happened you know, had that um, those laws not been put in place because of what happened on Aldani. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it, it's showing the hardening of the ISB. And, it, you know, it harkens back to, you know, what Leia tells Tarkin in A New Hope, like, you know, the, the tighter you close your fist, the, the more, you know, systems will slip through your fingers. Mm -hmm. um, the that. seeds of rebellion are, they've always been there. Um, oppression breeds it. You know, I mean, it's in the show. Like somebody said it in the show, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. so many little things that I think that rewatches are going to bring to light on this. So, do we see Krennic in season two with the prominence of the ISB? I think season two is going to be a lot different, man. I think yeah. they've already kind of let the cat out of the bag that season two is going to be a little heavier with the you know quote unquote cameos, mm -hmm. and they've told mm -hmm. us you know unlike like Tim was alluding to before, where we didn't know where the season was going to take us. They've told us this the, the final episode of season two is going to take us right into, you know, basically, uh, what's the name? Uh, Ring of Kafreen at the start yeah. of Rogue One. So I think they've kind of given us a little bit of the the sneak peek before they've even really gotten to, to principal photography. I know they've started, but yeah, I, I can expect Krennic. I wouldn't be shocked to see Bail Organa. I, on the Rebellion side, you could... cameo, I think, as well, like inside of the, the Senate, I think. There's got to be a yeah, Mon Mothma. They got to juxtapose those two characters, right? Because they effectively become the heads of of both of these. Uh, well, the Emperor is Mon becomes the head of the rebellion. Like you, you have to have a scene there. I think that puts those two in opposition of each other in some form. If not the Emperor, then they bring back the Tarkin, this the yeah. CG Tarkin thing. Mm -hmm. That was a lot of work they did for for you know a couple of scenes in Rogue One. I would not be shocked at all to see them bring him bring that thing back. Mm -hmm. I mean, e even if they don't. If if Krennic's not in this, or if Tarkin's not in it, this was this is like such fertile ground to bring in a character like Ray Sloan um, oh. as an I, as an ISB character. Yes. Um, I mean, Krennic would be great. I'd love to see Mendo come back in the show. He crushed it as 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 Krennic in Rogue One. Um, but if if I'm getting any read from Tony Gilroy. And he, in an interview with StarWars.com just a few days ago, talked about the inclusion of legacy characters mm -hmm. coming in. You know, we know K2 is coming in. You know, we may get like your, you know, Radis type character. Bail Organa is probably a shoe in But to have a character like a Ray Sloan as like um, the escalation above a character like Partigas, who didn't, yes. okay. hadn't done enough. You know what I mean? Ray Sloan is that character, if it's not Krennic. Yeah, she's... Is she ISB or is she Navy? She's a white uniform. So yeah, she's white uniform. Yeah, she's an awesome character. Yeah, yeah I really like her. She was so good because that's from what series is that from? Her she book? originally was in a New Dawn. Uh, New that's Dawn, where she originated. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then she was heavy in the aftermath books too. Yeah. Okay, yeah. The aftermath. That's what I was trying to rattle my head there. If that was the uh, the aftermath stuff that uh, that was done. Yeah, that would be awesome to see her in that. It, it puts her quite a bit younger though because um, if she's in the aftermath stuff like post return of the jedi right she's got a youngish feel to her there well i mean but her 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 character goes back before a new hope you know that's a, a new dawn is you yeah. know kanan and hera 
So, yes. you know, that that's pre-Rebels. So she's making a name for herself there. She could be an upstart coming into the ISB. At this point in Star, in Star Wars history, she could be making a name for herself. I don't remember the exact year that A New Dawn takes place mm-hmm. in relation to this, but I would imagine she's already a part of it. And by the time Aftermath comes around, she's already, she's an admiral, um, and she's one of the few that gets the call to go to the Unknown Regions after the fall of the Empire. That's yeah. why we haven't heard from her after Return of the Jedi. I love the context Rick Rick brings to these conversations. So much knowledge, so much Star Wars knowledge. I, I just I have sit no there idea and... what you guys are talking. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a deep end. That's why we invite these guys. They got it here now. Now, Kyle, you know we were talking about the future of this. We're looking into like what's next. But before we kind of jump into that, I want I want to take one character and build on this this ISB arc because there was one character in here that if you could say someone didn't fit inside of this in the same sort of more holistic way it's you have to forgive me his name is it is it cyril karn how is that how you say cyril karn cyril karn talk to me about this character because first three episodes i'm like this guy's for sure an isp agent he's gonna become the main antagonist of this antagonist in this show and he kind of just has this slightly meandering arc he eats a lot of cereal which i can appreciate and relate to when i'm upset first place i go is up and have a bowl of cereal so I, I get that, but this this was an odd character that that didn't have the same sort of build, right? Like they're they're building him up, and he kind of gets a bit creepy towards the end on on what uh, he's trying to yeah, do, obsessive, yeah. if you will. And you could see him being a bit of a thorn for Cassian, but does he become more? What are, what are your thoughts on this guy? He is an interesting character because yeah, it, it was almost like when we spend time with him, it was almost like dark humor. Mm-hmm. because he was getting put in all these situations where it's in the context of the show it's almost funny to see him flop yeah and to see him then have to go kicked out of the out of his corporate police job and have to go move back in with his mom where she stares at him as he eats his like blueberries and it was <laughs> she's and all just, over him all the time too man he, terrible she's badgering him and she, he's just like Ugh. like he's just he can't take it but yet he's when he gave that speech in the Ferrex arc, the opening Ferrex arc, and there was just nothing to him. There was no conviction. It was just like pre-programmed words that were falling out of his yap. And, you know, there was like some fake applause for what he had to say. And <laughs> there, there's a brain in there. He, he has ambition and goals. He just does It doesn't see, it seems like he doesn't know how to get there. But now he's sort of hitched his wagon to Dedra Miro, who he's kind of mm-hmm. creeping on. And to me, he's a wild card. He is the... The, yeah. the biggest wild card character of this series where you don't know where he's going to go. Is he going to go all in with Dedra and become an ISB agent? Is she going to bring him in? Uh, you know, I, I can perfectly see her, uh, you know, paying some sort of consequence for her failure on Ferrix, uh, getting demoted or something like that in season two and then going, oh, I got to build my way back up. How do I do this? Oh, this guy who's got a thing for me, I think I'm going to start using him. Mm-hmm. And to try and build her own star back up, but then, of course, being an imperial, she'll she'll have no qualms about backstabbing him yeah. and sending him right back down to the gutter. And then that maybe could be the place where he flips and says, "All right, to hell with these imperials. Maybe I was wrong about this Cassian guy all along. Maybe I have something in co- in common with Cassian." 
because there is that juxtaposition of Cassian being so into his into his relationship with his mom, caring so much about his mom, and it seems like if if Cyril could, he would yeet his mom off the top of a Coruscant skyscraper. <laughs> like there's there, these two guys are ships passing in the night. Maybe they'll find some common ground in season two, and Cyril becomes a piece of the rebellion. It could swing either way, which is why I call him a, a, a wild card character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, interesting arc for this guy, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. One that sticks out a little bit, but I kind of like some of that that thought and it kind of gets you thinking about, is this character going to be forever the punching bag, right? Is he just never going to get there? And it shows that like even a person with that ambition that is willing to walk over people, you know, still can't make it in this galaxy. And does that say something? Um, it's kind of interesting to see how this rolls out, especially as we jump years inside of, uh, inside of season two. But before we kind of get and look into the future just a little bit more, we got to talk about the man that uh, that holds the name of this show, Andor. So this show being about him, Carlos, did we get the show that we needed for this character? Because, you know, you go back and you say, okay, we've got a character here that we know has a definitive end inside of Star Wars. And it's hard to build in sort of stakes and emotion in some capacities. They've done it brilliantly in this this show. And you kind of forget about his his line in the sand his end his death in rogue one and you really embrace that character because i think at times to get an emotional connection to character you kind of want to project them into the future a bit more and we don't have that that full ability here we get to spend another what five years with him inside of this inside of this show five years inside of star wars timeline not in in general but did the did the show land for andor for his arc and building his character into what we eventually see at the start of Rogue One. No, but I think they did it way better mm-hmm. because I think coming into the show and when they announced it and even talking about what the show was all about, we expected him to be James Bond. We expected mm-hmm. him to be this super proficient spy who always had an angle on everything, who always saw two steps ahead. And that guy that we meet in that back alley at the beginning of Rogue One Whereas we don't get that at all. We get a guy who's just trying to figure out where his place in his world is and just trying to survive. And he's somebody who's charming and charismatic and has tons of wits about him. But then we get to see this progression into being that spy and that freedom fighter and one of the most important people in the history of the rebellion type of thing. So I, I don't think we got what we expected we were going to get out of Cassian Andor, but we got something way better and way more meaningful because he reflects directly the sentiment of the people from where they are uh, under the empire at the beginning of the show up to where he makes his ultimate sacrifice in Rogue One and sets them up to have a massive victory against their oppressors type of thing. So I, I, I think they crafted them masterfully. And, and yeah, and in a way, uh, like, I don't know, Rick, like maybe you saw this coming, but like not in a million years did I see them doing this with Cassian because we typically don't see that in this type of media, right? It's mm-hmm. like you get a guy who's a bit of a savant and off he goes, right? And pew pew and saving the day all over the place and that is not at all what cassian was um and it made him that much more special i think i think one of the smartest things they did coming into the show was realizing that cassian was a blank slate 
You know, his backstory is three sentences in Rogue One. Um, but the if, he, if the growth of his character ended at the end of season one, where does that put him in season two? Because by the time of Rogue One, his arc is still not completed. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He's still, you know, a little bit ruthless and headstrong. And um, he's all about the cause, but he's not about the purpose if you catch my meaning you know what i mean like there's there's other stakes to to, then you know to just um he's an intelligence officer in this burgeoning rebellion um like the idea that it's still bigger than him it's almost like it hasn't really set in yet and there are seeds of that in this where you look at where he is in the beginning of the season where it's just him he's off on his own trying to find his sister on uh morlana one And by the end of the show, while he is essentially alone, his actions are for the community. Yeah. It's, Mm -hmm. it's bigger than him. None of them almost, it's almost like none of them even knows that he's there. He's acting so much in the shadows, Mm -hmm. you know, doing some um, Arkham Asylum stuff, you know, dropping from the rafters to slit throats and stuff. But he's, um, that's the way all the greats roll, man. (laughs) That's right. Um, But he's, but he's not doing it solely for you know my mother died i need to avenge her death he's doing it because the people of his community are now in trouble by his own actions Mm -hmm. and that slow growth is coming and we'll see through season two whatever stages they want to take for each year for whatever event for each year you know him getting to that point in rogue one but it is it's a fascinating build for this character who you know i mean i can i can agree with people who would say why would why why do we need this story you know we've seen his end but you know i I can understand the idea that you know what story is there for this guy well all the story is there for this guy because there was no story for him Mm -hmm. and um it gave them all the creative freedom to put all of these little things in there about about community and about sacrifice and about his own kind of education um and crafting him as something different than the organized rebellion you know he is the polar opposite to what luthan rail is you know cassian is uh he, he's from these streets he's of these streets he's this yeah. dirty kid who had to fight to survive on multiple different levels and you know different facets and luthan is this rich guy who's funneling money to have other people fight for him um and it's not to say that luthan probably hasn't gotten his hands dirty in the past we don't know that story yet but um, Cassian represents the next generation of that fight. He's mm-hmm. got, you know, a different fire in him that Luthen at some point in the season, it almost, it, it starts to fade a little bit. Like his whole conversation with, um, with Lonnie, with the ISB spy, yeah. um, that's almost like, that's his low point, uh, is him saying like, I did all of this stuff. And Marva in her kind of self-eulogy not only did that represent a beacon for everybody on Ferrix, but it was a call for Luthen to say, like, I mean, yeah, there's there are other people fighting. He didn't have to pay people to fight on Ferrix. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to tell people to do anything on Ferrix. The people that he had on Ferrix were there to kill Cassian. And because of the actions of Marva and just the people, they were luckily just witnesses to it. Well, not Cinta. She got her hands dirty by killing that dude. Um, 
speaking of which, her killing Korb is like the job opening that Cyril could take if Dedra mm. wants to put him somewhere. Yeah, there you go. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Isn't it funny that you watch uh, Marva give the speech that on some level Luthen probably wishes he was giving, but he's—I mm-hmm. don't know if he's too cowardly to give it because no, he's, when, watch, he's watching all the action unfold. Yeah, it's like, dude, roll up your sleeves and get in there. This is the thing that you wanted. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I think Luthen's so used to the idea of acting in the shadows that acting publicly is. I don't know if he, that he's so much scared of it, but it's unfamiliar for him. Mm-hmm. Where Marva had spent her whole life making silent noises, that she just said, "Out oh, of hell with it. This has to be my way to fight." And it reminded me a lot of in episode three when all the people of Ferrix are banging on all the metal and stuff. And she tells um, the corpos like it's when the it's when the noise stops that you have that you begin to yeah. fret. It was when her noise stopped when she died that there had to be a worry. She she was such a a, a stalwart pillar of that community. Whatever she said was going to resonate with them, mm-hmm. and she became this towering beacon of life, literally, for them to to take up arms. Yeah, and Luthen didn't have Luthen didn't he didn't have to do a damn thing. He just sat there and he was like, "All right, my work here is done," and he dipped. Yeah, yeah. Seeing see him watch it from the sidelines too, as as that all happens, you know, what a way to crescendo the series. Like as you have these people marching, you're thinking like, "I'm I'm in my head. I'm like, what's going to happen here? Are they going to have the funeral, or is this going to are they going to run an attack? Like, you're, they're they're on a razor's edge there, and it was such a tense, like just organically tense moment that you're like. It's it's hard sometimes to capture those things where you're just captivated in the moment because you do not know what's going to happen, right? And you know what these shows and we're so embedded in these universes, whether it's Star Wars, Marvel, DC, or whatever, that uh, you have a tendency to to kind of make that leap and say, oh, I kind of I get a good idea what's going to happen. Through a good chunk of the show, I'm like, I have no idea what's going on, and that, that's why it's so engaging to me. And like so that so that last scene was so good because uh, this could go any way, you know, with the exception of Cassian Andor dying. This could go literally any way. They could wipe out this whole town. There could be a big battle. There could, you know what I mean? Like, there, like you, you got Saw. Like, is Saw gonna show up? With you know, you got those black X wings and all this. Like in my mind, I'm, this is all stuff rolling around. But like the way this was executed was just, it was just beautiful. Like it, it all, it all just works. And I love the words and the context that you put all to this, uh, Rick. It, it, it kind of, it kind of builds and pulls and tugs on some of these things that at the 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 front look very loosely connected but then have these like really cool underlying connections that, that you've you've kind of pulled through this and so I, I appreciate that context now what's next for for Ander here carlos we've got season two coming in 2024 um tony gilroy has he came out and said basically it's gonna be structured in the same way we got four arcs essentially in each arc i believe is gonna be a couple years in between them um mm-hmm. so we're gonna be jumping around a little bit so the continuity of story isn't going to be, I don't think, as tight as we're going to have to make a leap, you know, as we get to episode three or whatever, to episode four, we're going to have to make a leap of a year. A lot can happen in a year. A lot, can story, a lot of story can happen in a year. If you look at this show, what happened over a couple of weeks, months, whatever it was, um, a lot happens, but we're going to have to be making these leaps. Do you think the change in the way that it's going to be structured is, is going to maybe take away a bit from what we got in season one or in relative comparison or do you think because we have such a strong foundation that we're going to be able to make those leaps with with some of these characters that have uh, took off at the end of this show as well? 
no, I th- I think they put in the work and I that tease of the Death Star mm-hmm. at the end of the series, uh, like Kyle alluded to, like it it does feel like it signifies a change of gears for this series. I don't think it'll be wholesale. I think it'll uh, very much be uh, an evolution of where the show is now. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it's earned it. It's not like it's running to the finale and showing a bunch of um, nostalgia berries and uh, a pile of eye candy type of thing. Like I, I think it's just the the natural evolution to uh, reap the the fruits of your labor with that yeah. first season and all the storytelling work that they put in. But Kyle, I gotta hear what you gotta say, man. Because yeah. yeah, you 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 look like you got something here. For me, I'm no. just like I don't know. Maybe we see Saw get Bukali or something like well, that. Well, no, no what uh, Saw is one of the things. And I think, well, structurally, I think we're, I, we're probably going to move through the slow burn aspect of the show. I think we got that through these 12 episodes. There was a few through lines from episode one through 12. And there will be that in season two. But I think as they chunk out, you know, four years, three years, two years, one year, and then right into Rogue One, they're going to have to quicken the pace a little bit, I think, in yeah. these in these mini arcs. and treat them very much like a, a 90 minute movie in some ways mm-hmm. just move 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 so i don't know that we're gonna get the same sort of uh f- not, oh, i guess for lack of a better word feeling where you know the pace was the joy of the show the writing the the timing of it all was the joy of the show i think this next season is going to move a bit quicker and uh be a bit more a little bit more. I don't want to, I'm not going to over exaggerate, but it's going to be a bit more of like here's the bullet points, boom, 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 and we move on. But yeah, things I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing is you know uh, the the Senate. We know by by a new hope, it's sort of an afterthought and it gets mm-hmm. you know wiped away. And we saw sad times in the Senate in in season one where mm-hmm. you go back to the prequels and it was full and it was it was vibrant and people are debating, and it's half empty here. And then half the people who are left are not paying attention, and the other half are kind of bickering and looking at their phones. So, will we see any more of the Senate? Um, Carlos was talking about Saw Gerrera. Like, are we going to see the actions that we learned about him in Rebels? Where was it? Rebels? But just we we've been told that he's a dangerous extremist and he's just too much yeah, for the rebellion. Yeah. Uh, you know, collateral damage with this guy seems to be no big deal. Are we going to see that? Are we going to see what separates him from Mon Mothma in this series? We've been waiting for it. This seems like the place to do it. Um. And then finally, the the Cassian sister story arc. Yeah, it was oh, yeah. put in the first few episodes, and then it just that was. If I have a complaint about the show, it's that it's they kind of picked that up. He had this this search for his sister, and then they put it away, mm-hmm. and we never really go back to it. And I don't know, maybe that's fully intentional. Maybe he he finds a different mission. It becomes less about him and his personal nuclear family, and more about the grander community of of Ferex and people around him and eventually the the whole whole galaxy is that we're supposed to take or is is it still are we still going to touch on the biological system sorry Tim no no like do you think that was put in there because of that line in Rogue One like doesn't he say I've been doing this since I was six years old or something like that like is that is that my misquoting that line like wasn't there some line in in Rogue One about him being part of the the rebellion or fighting in a certain way ever since he was like a certain age there, yeah. there is, yeah, but that kid didn't look six. Um, it's his first brush with rebellion, if you want to call it that, was when Marva and Clem picked him up on, 
uh, Canari. Yeah. But he was older than six. So I think they've, you know, I don't want to use the R word in retcon, but I think mm-hmm. they've they've doctored it a little bit to, to, to massage it to fit the story a little bit better. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. You know. The introduction of the sister piece kind of just trailed off, and I don't know if we'll go back to And him to being it. an orphan adopted by, like, there, there's almost a bit of complexity put in there for the maybe there's a reason then we will see in season two like there is a reason for it um but like that could have just been his mother right did he we, need to be adopted yeah we do have to see what happens on canary though don't we that it feels were, incomplete yeah yeah, yeah although like, they did they left right like marva and clem picked him up and they flew away like it seems like they closed the book on that but left and it was the, like yeah the the empire is doing something bad here they're mining they're killing people like there, there doesn't seem a lot to go back to that right it was basically it seemed to be like we're gonna set up this piece for Andor, and we're gonna make sure that you know that the Empire is doing bad things like all over the galaxy, um, and not bad things, not just taking people's possessions or killing people, right? Like they're out here mining and stealing from these these colonies, and then killing them all accidentally in some cases, right? And but like, I don't know what you go back there for, and I don't know what the the sister does, right? Because you've gotten away because of the whole prison. And then when you get back to the Ferex at the end, you've gotten away from him being more inwardly focused, right? And he's, he's more about the greater good. And so like, yeah, I don't a, know what revisiting like, does that. Or does yeah, it's, for it's hard given where he is at this point where he's, he's now committed to Luther and said, you know, kill me or take me in, like take me into the rebellion. He's all in. Like yeah. he's not going to take time out now to go f- resume the search for his sister. It seems like that that's an unjustified thing. But it's a ripe opportunity for something I know Rick would read if they put a novel in there and said mm-hmm. he, he resume he goes on va- two week vacation from the rebellion and resumes the search for his sister or a comic book yeah, series. He, I, I know Rick would read that. He, he he gets his new job in the rebellion and then for day one says I need to take two weeks off. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> Wait a minute, <laughs> man! I can't believe you brought that back. I... <laughs> well, for those that are new to the show. Years ago, we asked Carlos to, to come on and be a permanent uh, member host on in the nerd room, and he said, "That's cool. I'll be back in two weeks." <laughs> <laughs> but but I think Brilliant. I think the whole Canari uh, thing with his sister. I, if you if you want to believe what Marva says, I mean, she says, you know, it, it, it's a fool's errand to try to find her. She's gone. There were no survivors, and while it doesn't really feel super fulfilling you know because there was no real like emotional impact um in the delivery of those lines at least to cassian's reading we could take it at face value and that's all it is you know mm-hmm. that and and like you were saying kyle i, I kind of see if there's no other conclusion to that story it was written as a way for cassian to learn to let go like that's one of the mm-hmm. things about this show is that a lot of people have focused on what is it that he's learned at the end of every arc or what is he taken away from every arc? I've looked at it as what is he given up at the end of every arc or, or mm. what, what's, what is he left behind? Um, you know, at, at the end of the first arc, he, he literally leaves Ferrix. The end of the second arc, um, he leaves an inspiration. You know, he leaves the spiritual leader of, the Aldani fight in Nemec and he leaves a part of himself by killing Skeen. You know, that was mm-hmm. the worst version of himself. And with um Narkina 5 and that whole arc, he 
leaves behind the person who, in my eyes, became like um, emblematic of freedom from the prison of the mind, you know, in yeah. Kino Loy. You know, whether he survives or not, I'm assuming he didn't, unfortunately, but Kino um, appreciated the freedom that he got in the fact that he could make the leap. He, the choice is his to make. It's not the empire's for him to make that choice anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, he's free. Um, and then by the end of the whole thing, he does gain the community, but he does so at the expense of what was really closest to him in Marva. And this whole show has been about choices and sacrifices, um, a lot, you know, amongst a lot of other themes. So I think like for season two, you know, I, I don't expect him. He may make mention of, you know, a sister you know, I had this other life kind of thing, or maybe he, you know, he starts to take on this more clandestine role and he doesn't um, offer up information about himself. He's telling everybody he's from Fest, you know, like the, mm. the source books say, and it's not Canary anymore. Um, but I, who knows? And again, this is, you know, the, the power of that blank slate. Yeah. You know, they can, they can write anything for him to make sense. But yeah, the, the pacing needs to be a lot faster. I think um, while, you know, Tony Gilroy has talked about the inclusion of legacy characters, I think characters like Saw for Cassian's story might not fit as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think since there has to be time jumps that it almost has to be more focused on Cassian, Yeah. Um, where season one was almost more about the and or name in his family, not so much about him. Um you know, season two would have to be more about him and, you know, earning his place with the rebellion as it is and becoming this intelligence officer. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of great things they can do in season two. You know, they seeded so much. And honestly, this is this is shot right to my most anticipated of 2024. It's a long time before we get to see the uh, the conclusion to a lot of these arcs and there's a lot to build into there and there's a lot that we can speculate on but I think we're gonna we're gonna call it there with Andor you know this is for me and we're just gonna do one quick roundtable get everyone's kind of last opinions here you know for me this this just was a, a brilliant unexpected delight in inside of the Star Wars universe I haven't been super high on some of the more recent stuff that they they put out in Disney Plus like I see the great elements of Boba Fett and I see the great elements of, of Obi-Wan but to me they pale in comparison to to this show this is a, a different type of show and it, and it really really delivered for me and you know that last little peek at the Death Star and the the end credit scene was was really cool too it felt way more done than it should be for there still being you know quite a few years before they're testing this thing for the first time but uh guys let's do one last little round table we're gonna go to you first kyle kind of final thoughts here on andor did it deliver clearly it did but is there any last things you want to put out there before uh, before we wrap it up here well i think it's not specific to andor but you know the show set a new bar for mm-hmm. uh in terms of of quality but it really i think some of the sufferings of the some of the star wars projects in particular, the sequel trilogy as a whole, and then uh, Kenobi suffered from it a little bit. Um, is is the idea of sitting down and planning something from from the beginning? This yeah. is what the vision for this. This is what we want to say for this project, and here's how we're going to do it. And you break it down, and you write your little Bible for that project. You stick to it with with discipline. You attack it with the right people. Um, 
you, you don't pass it around pass around those batons and say well you now you do what you want be yeah. creative we like that that doesn't seem to work so i think what you've done here with andor is be given a bit of a template to say have a vision know what you want to do with your show with your property with your movie whatever it is and follow it follow that mm -hmm. vision through and we're gonna we as like the bean counters and uh, the suits we're gonna step back and let you people do what you need to do uh so i'm looking for shows like like acolyte to kind of follow that trend even though it, it you know it's it, it's probably going to focus more have a more of a family friendly approach even though it's going to have some dark materials it's led by a very young actor but i think the the rigor and the the discipline to tell a seamless story is going to be there and i think andor has underlined that to have a vision have discipline mm -hmm. and and follow it through yeah, very much so. The fact that they gave this two seasons, like especially with the platform of Disney Plus, where it's about retaining eyeballs as opposed to like hitting some sort of box office number, at this point, like shelling out seasons probably isn't the the worst idea. And giving people kind of the running room to tell the story that they want to tell, if if they have that and if they want to tell it in that that way, if you know what I mean. Um, I think it really works. Carlos, man, final thoughts here on Andor. It just goes to show that you need to let the creatives take their shot because mm -hmm. we've come kind of to the end of this first batch of Star Wars shows and the one I was looking forward to in Kenobi was the most kind of ho-hum and the one that I had kind of been dismissive of absolutely blew my mind. So I, I think that we've been given an absolute gift with Andor and I, I, I never thought I'd say, but... Andor season two is like my number one project coming in the Star Wars space. Like I cannot yeah. wait for, for that thing to hit. And even though we know where it's going, the, the journey has just been so captivating and mm. they've done such a great job with it that um, it, it can't get here fast enough for me. So yeah, we're, we're to the wise. Don't, uh, don't judge a book by the cover. Yeah, <laughs> literally. And Rick, I've purposely left you for last because I know you've had, you know, a a real emotional connection to to this show. You you've broken it down in, in such a passionate and um and and just kind of engaging way. And so I want to kind of leave you with the last words here before uh, we do our send offs uh, on on Andor. You know, the the thing about this show and what it could be, it's um like what you were saying, Carlos. Like letting allowing a creator to to create. Um, Kind of outside of the restrictions of you know bureaucracy or corporatism if you know those are um kind of shackles to some creativity and it points to something in the show where um you know star wars is a lot about the kind of like organic against the machinery and it's in this last episode where you have the literal bricks of barracks are contain the ashes of these people um, and they come to symbolize you know part of the fight um, you have the literal bricks of the empire that um, Cassian and all of these people were making on Arkina 5 that became parts of the um, of the Death Star if you want to look at it as like the Death Star and those brick parts as like you know corporate decision making and then just the organic creative storytelling as the, the bricks of Ferrix we know who's going to win out. It's already mm -hmm. won out in this fight because those foundational <laughs> bricks have given us such a wonderful story 
um, without a lot of the, you know, the flashbang and the, the doodaddery and all the other, you know, Star Wars, you know, coolness. Um, it's given us something different that's just so thematically to its core. You know, the ashes of Star Wars are embedded in these bricks and um, it's created something so much more lively and something more seemingly more organic in this sci-fi world that it doesn't even have to be Star Wars anymore. It is mm -hmm. just thematically what the story is. And um, to echo the sentiments, I mean, it's just, you know, I've been, you know, one of the, the few kind of crazy people in the world who's, who have been championing this show for the last four years. And now that it's come and gone, it's like there's that tiny little piece of vindication, 100%. but also, and also that tiny piece of like, you should have been listening. And like a huge <laughs> part now of kind of like, it's just been good. It's been really good. Like 2022 for Star Wars has been such a banner year. Like even if things against each other may not um, seem like, you know, they, they all fit together. I mean, they're all part of this large story. We've had, what, three, four banger TV shows. You know, we had Book of Boba Fett, Kenobi, Tales of the Jedi, this show. Uh, Willow starts in, you know, this week which is not Star Wars, but Lucasfilm. We've had all of these comics. We've had a whole slew of novels with all the High Republic stuff. Like it's a really rich time to be a Star Wars fan, but in the TV space, Andor has given us a brand new bedrock mm -hmm. to tell all of these new, fresh kind of stories. And and I mean, it goes without saying, I'm here for all of it. All day. And you're going to be able to what catch about, uh What about Bad Batch season two, Rick? That's next year. We'll we'll talk about that next year. Hey, man, I was don't, about don't disrespect the bad batch. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, the only the only person that uh, has right to hate uh, Andor is uh, the dude who creates the toy lines for Hasbro because <laughs> the show didn't give them much to work with. <laughs> they have other problems right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is true. Like fifty bucks a figure. Yeah, I was Yikes. On, on the hunt this weekend. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Now let let's let's do this. Let's wrap this up, guys. We appreciate you jumping on here and talking about Andor. It is it is always great to get those perspectives, especially from uh, to the to the guys that are, are battle worn inside of the Star Wars universe. And Rick, when you go first here, tell people where they can find more coverage of Andor, more coverage of everything going on in the Star Wars universe, including the books, comics, everything that you cover over on uh, Jammed Transmissions. Uh, well, you can find me uh, just about everywhere. Um, that being uh, Twitter, Instagram. And right now on Hive, you can find me at Cat Means Bounty. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at JT Comlink. Um, no, I'm sorry, at uh, on Twitter and Hive at JT Comlink. And on Instagram at Jam Transmissions. You can follow the show wherever you find shows. Uh, rates and reviews are fantastic. And telling your friends about it is uh, sometimes even better. Um, I am going to be taking a break for the next couple of weeks with the holidays. But once Bad Batch comes on... Um, I don't know. I might uh, might bring uh, the kiddo back on to talk about some Star Wars nice. animation stuff. So we'll see how it goes. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Go check out Rick. Give us a sub, subscribe uh, at all those podcast uh, spots. And um, like you said, rate and review. Awesome. Helps the podcast here. Kyle, man, it's always great having you on here. It's uh, I, I miss you from my weekly rotation, but... Uh, oh, God. The guilt trip. Oh, God. <laughs> Maybe we can solve that here in the Nerd Room someday. Um, but... Yeah, you're not on Twitter. You're on Twitter about as much as I am lately. But uh, where can people find you? Uh, well, if they want to um, the easiest place. Well, I mean, you, you can always reach me on Twitter at at Tumbling Saber. But I want to give people 20 seconds. Rewind. Listen to Rick's spiel again. Go subscribe to Rick's mm -hmm. show. 
go hit up Jam Transmission. Assuming you're already subscribed to Nerd Room, which is a good life choice, go make a second good life choice. Go back 30 seconds now. Listen to what Rick says. Follow him in those places. He's a good dude. I'm, I'm glad that we were able to hook up on social media and, and do these mm. all these stupid things and have all this all this chat <laughs> and fun. And it's amazing. It's amazing. But otherwise, um, the Tumbling Saber Facebook group is where I spend most of my time online, which ironically features me and Rick mostly shitting on each other. That's that's the attraction <laughs> of that group. It's brilliant to watch it unfold. <laughs> no, again, thank you guys so much for coming on here. Uh, we're going to do this again sometime soon. You know, we've got lots of Star Wars on tap here. we got Mando coming up, Bad Bash Season 2, and, and just, just so much. Like you said, Rick, we've got a solid foundation here. And we're gonna we're gonna run and leap off of that. Now, guys, if you want to be a bigger part of this show, you can always email us at the nerdroom at gmail.com. You can find everything we do over the nerdroom.net. YouTube, we're we're going along there. We're just steady streaming, doing what we can. And so go over there and give us a subscribe. Some more videos going up this week from Ian. And then I'm gonna start creating myself again here as well. I went out on the hunt, guys, and man, it's just too expensive to buy new stuff. So it's going to be uh, going to be look backs in some <laughs> of the toy space there. So uh, and then uh, our Twitter handles are at the end of the episode. So again, for uh, for all of us here in the nerd room to just want to send a thank you to, to both Kyle and Rick. We hope to have you guys back on soon. And uh, with all that being said, uh, for the nerd room, I'm Tim. I'm Carlos. Oh man, that's that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you to both Kyle and Rick again, and thank you so much for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts Tim, Troy, Sanjay, and Carlos on Twitter at the NerdRM, Troy the Boy87, Sanjabi, and CDN Caped Crusade R. For more content from the Nerd Room, check out the NerdRoom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to the Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from the Nerd Room on Instagram and Twitter.